Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for a new adventure? Learn to fly at Chickasha Wings. Right here at Chickasha Wings, we teach people to fly. We've got 11 airplanes, nine flight instructors, and about five mechanics. We turn out about 80 new certificates or ratings each year. And we train pilots who now fly at the major airlines. We have, they fly for the Air Force, the FAA, for private jets. They even have a few missionary pilots. Our customers come from all over the United States. Here at Chickasha, we're able to provide lower costs, a more focused training program, and we're able to provide a higher level of customer service. My favorite thing about this business is helping people. Because I see people go from not knowing anything about it to being an airline pilot. Come out here and learn to fly. Your adventure awaits at Chickasha Wings. For more information, check out chickashawings.com. It's an exciting day, y'all. I'm here in Wayne, Oklahoma with my aunts and uncles, quite possibly the biggest troublemakers of them all, to talk about my grandpa, William Creeley Schaffner, or as we grandkids affectionately called him, Papa Schaff. He grew up as a typical Choctaw boy, running around his family's Oklahoma farm in his striped overalls, and then he left the farm to serve in the Air Force, returning a highly decorated fighter pilot and hero of Oklahoma. Newspapers across the country and even throughout the world reported of his heroic battles in the air. One paper called The News from Frederick, Maryland, wrote an article in 1952 entitled, Two Red Jets Are Damaged. Seoul, Korea, February 7th, an American Sabre jet pilot damaged two red MiG jets in a three-minute battle high over the snow-swept North Korea today. Lieutenant William C. Schaffner of Wayne, Oklahoma, riddled the two MiGs in a fight involving 17 Sabres and 30 Red Jets. The Sabre Jets were flying escort for Allied fighter bombers, which took to the skies as snow clouds cleared during the afternoon. Pilots reported cutting red rail lines at 71 points and destroying or damaging 12 supply buildings. Light snow fell all along the battle line. UN raiding parties hit the Reds west of Chorwan, one-time anchor of the communist Iron Triangle. One unit fought two sharp 25-minute battles in the snow before returning to its own lines. The other reached its objective on high ground without trouble and returned while snow still was falling. Red infantrymen made three small early morning probes of UN positions in the center and extreme east of the battlefront, but pulled back under fire. This air warrior may have had a tough exterior, but number one in his life was always his family. And so he and his wife, Elwanda, had five children and a whole slew of grandkids. My aunts and uncles aren't your typical flavor of relative that you just drop in to say hello to over the holidays. These four Okies spent a lot of time with us. They once tied a sled to the back of a pickup truck, and someone sat in the sled as they pulled the rider through the pasture at high speed. The best part was when what we call pasture pudding, if you get my drift, flew up into the faces of the riders. Good times. They still go hay bale jumping with us, even nowadays with our kids who are grown. 
They'd also take us out late at night into the dark pastures of McLean County to shoot armadillos, snakes, and turtles for population control and to protect the cattle, of course. One time, my sister Skylar said she wanted a raccoon. So my Uncle Mark went and got his niece a raccoon. Turns out the captured raccoon was a mean one, though, so he couldn't give it to her. But whatever my sisters and I needed, they were there for us. My grandpa Papa Shoff's land, where we've grown up and played on together with our loving and crazy family, is more than just a cattle ranch. It's our family's Indian land allotments that have passed down through my family, from my great-grandmother, full-blood Choctaw, who was sold to a white guardian at age three, where once she was taken advantage of for her land, she and our family succeeded in keeping the land, and family members have raised cattle for many decades. And we've all bonded over many shooting practices out in these beautiful yellow fields with the Oklahoma red dirt ponds. I know our ancestors are looking down and smiling as they see us connecting and spending time together. None of us are perfect. Mistakes have been made. Some have argued. Some have had to make up. But we've always supported and loved each other through happy times, illnesses, divorces, babies being born, and more. This die-hard bond is here to stay, just like my Papa Shop wanted it. And today, I'd like to honor him by introducing you, my dear listeners, to my beautiful family, these aunts and uncles who have loved me and my sisters through thick and thin, and who have made their daddy proud by keeping this land and family afloat, even long after he passed. Yakoki, for joining me today, family. Feel free to share your name and a little bit about yourself. Bill, why don't you start us off? I'm Bill Schaffner, and uh, I'm the elder of the group. The best, of course. And, I don't uh, know about that. I, <laughs> we may need to discuss. I thought they waited until the last. <laughs> this is off to a great start. <laughs> anyway, I have worked for 50 years at Hillcrest Hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was in the Army and uh, served in Korea, served on a rifle team. I was an expert rifleman and trained for various duties that I would have to do. All right. And Annette? Uh, I'm Annette. I'm a school teacher, have been for more years than I'd like to really talk about right now. I love it. <laughs> I live in the, on the farm in mom and dad's house right now, and I love all the old rusty junk that's been around for a hundred years and have some very strange looking lamps and things around. Yeah, I love the, you walk into Annette's house and you see our treasures from the family land and all these things that she's taken and made a lamp out of it, or I'm amazed at the things In you tables. make out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you work on commission or can somebody? I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> and they'd have to bring you old junk from their family farm. Right, because they cool, don't get right? mine. No. Right. <laughs> no, definitely don't share our junk because it's good stuff. All right. And Sandy. Well, not a lot to say. Mom and dad had two groups of kids, two <laughs> older boys, and then they waited about 10 years to have start the next group. And I'm the middle one of the next group. So I was kind of the, uh, in my dad's eyes, I think I was a little bit of the troublemaker. Uh-huh. The quiet troublemaker, <laughs> he, though. Yes. <laughs> I worked for the state health department for 17 years. My husband went to the cell tower business when it started up, and I got to quit work for one year. And he's, we started our own business, been doing that. We he just retired from that. So now we're Congrats. working on our farm. That's great. And it's a beautiful piece of God's country out there. I love where you've built your house and it's on the land allotments as well, right? Our house here, yeah. but we have a farm separate from right. our land here. That's great. Well, and 
you know, something that I've really loved is our family gatherings. We either go to the house where all of y'all grew up or we go over to your house, which is just down the road. It's not that far. And then, of course, great grandmother's house, which was built by the Choctaw Nation. That's also still in our position. And and whoever needs the house, they use it at that time. My nephew may be moving into it soon. And so there's all these little places where you're loved and the family can come together and have these great parties. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last but not least, Mark. I'm Mark. Um, I continue dad's legacy, raising cattle. I guess I've been doing this my whole life. Mm -hmm. Seems like it's been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Me and my wife, Sheila, we do the day-to-day job of ranching, farming, then you kind of the farming that pertains to the cattle. And we feel like we've over many, many years of selective culling, got some really good cattle now. That's right. Gentle. You can just, they more like puppy dogs now. <laughs> but uh, the family gets to enjoy eating some of it sometimes. And that's about <laughs> that's all there is for every, me. Everyone jokes that the cattle are so well taken care of here that they're trained. <laughs> uh, grass fed and trained. Well, yeah, I guess you could call it that. <laughs> and you yes. maybe have a favorite cow, right? Uh, we got. One or two, yeah. Maggie. Maggie. She's a big old baby. <laughs> yes, she is. Yeah, she likes to be scratched. She's sweet. <laughs> likes her scratchings. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's why it's good cattle. It comes from loving homes. Grass-fed, loving homes. Okay. <laughs> so. I, I have partaken in that that beef. We got to buy some from Mark a while back, and it was so good. I mean, you barely have to season it. It's just it's good, rich beef. It's good stuff. I have to say that. Proud of Mark for carrying on the legacy. That's right. He's, he's held it together. Thank you, Mark. Done a oh, yeah. good job. I don't know about how good a job, but <laughs> we're still here. <laughs> Doing an excellent <laughs> but, job. Okay, yeah. I got to interject here. It went from, I remember being in the back of the pickup, standing up by the cab with granddaddy, and he sees something across the pasture. Bulls are trying to fight. He doesn't realize that there's many levees and hills and bumps between him and the bulls. <laughs> and he takes off full speed across there, intending to ram the bulls to get them to stop. Well, now, you know, Mark takes and shakes a bucket at him, and they're like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so we've kind of worked hard and come a long way. I That's got, right. I finally got them the way I want them. Well, we appreciate it. I think all of us have something to offer the family. I mean, gosh, the cell towers that Rudy has put up over the years is really like we can thank them for having good coverage, (laughs) especially in places like what? South Texas, North Uh, Dakota, South Carolina, California. Well, there's so much to uncover when we talk about my Papa Schaff. So let's start with his early life. William Creeley Schaffner Jr., also called Schaff or W.C., was the only child born to W.C. Schaffner Sr. and Ella Davis Schaffner in Sulphur, Oklahoma, on February 23, 1923. His dad was part Choctaw, and his mom was full-blood Choctaw. So tell me a little something about Papa Schaff's dad, Annette. He would be my grandpa, my granddaddy, and your great-grandpa. He grew up with a brother and two sisters, and I do believe they were extremely ornery. I get that feeling. Oh, They were dangerous (laughs) when they were playing canasta together and dominoes. Mom would have us leave the house while they were playing dominoes. (laughs) It was pretty rowdy. Anyway, he served in the Navy, um, and he also spent some time working on an oil rig where somehow or other, that's where his arm got caught in something. And so like the whole time I knew him, 
he didn't have a hold arm. It was amputated just below his elbow and stuff. So it never slowed him down at all. He could do things. He could tie a better fish hook on than any of us. Anyway, he also, I think he was very innovative. He didn't start out farming on the land. It was something he talked to grandmother about that he really wanted to do. And she said, whatever you want, Creeley. And so that's how they came to be on the land here. And uh, it amazes me. He had workhorses and things that he was creating levees and stuff and straightening the creeks out and all those kinds of things. And he was really kind of innovative. It was before they had lights on their equipment, but he took a battery from something and made a light so that he could do some of the farming at night. When I go around and I look at his junk and all the different things, I see how he reused stuff and he, you know, made them work for him and even some tools that he made on his own to fit things. I'm using one of them on my lawnmower right now. Well, so you kind of took that same innovation or some I, of the stuff you It made. was probably, yeah, it was probably influenced me. So when I think back to the times, it's like he was kind of ahead of his time. Yeah. He didn't just take the usual and stuff. He did more. Absolutely. That's a, a nice tribute to him. And, you know, you're talking about his arm being cut off. I remember when I was little, I asked him how he lost his arm. And he'd tell me an alligator came up to the bathtub drain and yanked it off. So I was always afraid to take a bath when I was staying at their home. And he also used to throw me 10 cents and say, here, Rachel, go get yourself soda pop. And I always knew 10 cents wouldn't cover it, but I appreciated the thought. Well, it did back in his time. <laughs> it did. Um, and how about his wife, Ella, my great grandmother? Can you share a little bit about her? Oh, sure. Grandmother, I think she was like a very quiet, super strong person. Mm -hmm. um, she was given to guardians. J.D. Anderson uh, from Sulphur, Oklahoma. And she would tell stories about how she loved to ride bareback. And she'd get on this white horse and she'd take off bareback and it'd scare her guardians to death, she said. <laughs> and they'd be yelling at her, Ella, get off that horse. But she'd just ride that much harder. So I think there might have been a little stubbornness in there, too. She also, I feel like, felt like education was extremely important because she told a story about, I'm sure it was an Indian boarding school in Albuquerque, that I don't know why she was there. I don't know if she was just taken there or sent there or what, but she actually loved it. She said she loved it. She loved learning, but that at some point the guardian said they missed her and she came back to stay with the guardian. Which we kind of roll our eyes a little bit mm -hmm. about that because mm -hmm. I don't know that they were the nicest people. So oh, we miss you. We miss the work you're doing. Yeah, well, I think they had <laughs> orchards and were needing her and her half-sister to help. She was also very positive. You know, we're mm -hmm. having to find out a lot of things because she didn't talk about much. And if she did, it was always in a very positive way. It's the sad part about things because she did have a hard life. And she only talked about pieces of it here and there. And then we found out more things later as we researched her life. But it's also the thing that I admire about her, too, because she was Choctaw strong. You know, the Choctaw really are strong people. They're full of faith and they believe in carrying on and doing good things in the world. And so I think that says a lot about her spirit. And then, Sandy, I know that you mentioned something about the chickens. Yeah, that was grandmother's contribution. She clearly, her husband built her a very nice chicken house. I guess <laughs> there's nice chicken houses. And uh, she would make money from the eggs that she got from the chickens. What, did she like go into town and sell them? I there, assume or? 
I don't really know. And Wayne's a little town here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the po- what do you think the population is here? It was 500. I love that about it. I want it to always stay a small town. The Wayne Bulldogs, right? Yeah. And then Annette, do you teach at Wayne right now or? No, I'm teaching okay. in Norman. Okay. But you have taught at Wayne schools before, no. right? Oh, in my never. student okay. teaching there, but always yeah. at Norman. Well, okay. Maysville and then Norman. But it's a great little town and lots of farming communities around here. And it's just beautiful. You you can see the horizons and you can see the oaky red dirt and the ponds and the golden fields and all that. It's just, it's a, it's a good place. So, you know, I loved our grandmother's spirit, the getting on the horse and riding away and that stubbornness. I think some of us may have, maybe may have a little bit of that stubbornness. But so again, WC, they're shaking their heads. They, they disagree. I'm not stubborn. Uh, <laughs> so again, WC Senior and Ella had my grandpa, so my Papa Shaw. So what do y'all think that Papa Shaw's upbringing was like? Well, we know he had a lot of fun on the farm. He tells stories about a farmhand they had, and he went down and played cards or checkers or something with them. And he was about animals. He was uh, exploring. Of course, he would have been working on the farm with his dad. I'm not sure about what it was like for him going to school. Um, He never said anything. But one of his cousins, after he passed, he and I were sitting and talking. And he said something about that he really didn't think that School was very nice for Papa Shaw. And I don't know if that meant that he was maybe not treated as nicely Mm -hmm. or something, but I never heard it from Dad. It's that brown skin that we know a lot of the Native Americans probably during that time period would have probably faced when they were in school with um, a half-breed. Right. He was a half-breed. So interesting. And did y'all face any of that when you went to school at any one point? No, No, I never did. No. No. That's good. I remember some comments uh, when I overheard some older ladies talking about me. It was good mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. but they were like, you know, that little Indian girl. <laughs> now, right. for me, I was like, yeah, yeah that little Indian <laughs> Thank girl. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I had no concept that it could be, a could have been met in a mm-hmm. different way. Well, and I don't know how anyone can be racist against Native Americans here in Oklahoma. It's like, you are in the wrong state. (laughs) I mean, there are towns here that are 70, 80% Native American. I just don't know how you could get away with um, having those feelings, but that's interesting. So I love the photos of Papa Shop when he was little overalls and no shoes in some cases, and just a small town Choctaw farm boy. In 1927, the family moved to Wayne, Oklahoma, and Papa Shop graduated from high school in 1941. The next day, He headed down to Denton, Texas, where he had a job with Public Construction Company as a wagon drill operator. A year later, he enlisted in the Army Air Force, where he qualified as an aviation cadet. And that's always impressive to me because most people join the Air Force wanting to fly, but very, very few actually get to fly. So I've wondered, you know, what kind of skills they uncovered in him that that helped him to qualify. At the end of World War II, he went into inactive duty and returned to Wayne, Oklahoma. And while he was in Wayne, he met a beautiful and sophisticated Southern woman, my grandmother, Elwanda Hallbrook from Zion, Arkansas. I remember grandmother telling me how they met at a swimming pool and they, I had sat down at the kitchen table with her in this very room where we are right now. And I said, you know, how did you meet Papa Shaw? And she said, well, we were swimming one day. He was dating someone else. And she said, we got to talking and we decided that, you know, hey, we should go out. And so we did. And I seem to remember, but I can't find anyone to corroborate this part of the story that they actually got engaged very quickly after that, maybe got married a couple of weeks later or something. So who knows? 
I wish we had all like really written that down at the time. <laughs> but And so as beautiful as grandmother was, Papa Shaw was equally handsome with his dark skin, black eyes, and strong confidence. Education was very important to my grandmother, and she went to the University of Oklahoma. Go Sooners. Annette, do you know if she received her degree? She was actually one semester short. She withdrew, I think, after the fall semester. It had something, I think she told me it had something to do with the war and stuff going on and professors were being called to duty mm-hmm. or something. She was talking about there just weren't real professors there. It was kind of students teaching students. And I'm guessing there were things going on that were more important to her. Yeah been doing going on. Yeah. And even then, even though she didn't obtain her degree, I think it's impressive that in a time when a lot of women didn't even go to college and and even in Oklahoma, especially, I feel like a lot of women were not going to college and, and yet she went. And again, her family really did believe in education. I think that passed down to all of us as well. And so they got married in June of 1945. He was 22 and she was 23. They were so young. Then they had two sons, Bill and Keith, and Keith is my dad. In 1947, two years after marrying, Papa Schaff went back to active duty in the U.S. Air Force serving during the Korean War until 1953. He was then honorably discharged with rank of captain. A little about the Korean War, it started in 1950 when South Korea was invaded by North Korea, who was supported by the Soviet Union and China. The United States stepped in to try to help South Korea fight communism. The war ended in 1953 when the Korean Armistice Agreement was signed, which allowed prisoners to be returned and created the Korean Demilitarized Zone, or the DMZ, that would separate North Korea from South Korea. Something interesting that my friend Doug told me was that by 1952, the ground war had become mainly concentrated around the 28th parallel. That would mean the air battles were located far north of friendly ground forces. Not a good location for a pilot to be if they're forced down. So in February of 1952, the Ada Weekly News wrote about my Papa Shaw talking about his battle with the two red MiG jets saying, The first MiG he tackled was belching puffs of smoke as it crossed the Yalu into the safety of Manchuria. He fired at another until his ammunition was exhausted. Schaffner said the MiG was hit in several places, but it would not go down. Needless to say, my Papa Shaw was one cool and brave dude, and he loved his country and being in the Air Force. So where do y'all think Papa Shaw developed his passion to fly? Well, I don't know that he had it. Um, What I heard is that he was working for Uncle Otto Mm -hmm. down in Texas, and the grandmother sent him some kind of letter, something with information about the Air Force, and told him he ought to go do that. Yeah. (laughs) But once he did it, he was all about flying. Wow. She knew her son. I never even really thought about that. She looked at him and was like, this would be a great path for you, son. And then, Sandy, I know that there was something about Caleb had, he had told Caleb that it's better to be in the air than on the ground or something like that, your son Caleb. Oh, that all the boys, he wanted them to uh, learn to fly or something like that so that he thought they'd be safer in the (laughs) air than on the battlefield. So, Not something you typically hear a grandpa say to their kids. Well, and as as we go along, I think our listeners will really get the passion that Papa mm-hmm. Shop really had for flying. It was everything to him, as as much as as his family was as well. So I remember hearing someone say at some point that his mother didn't want him to enlist. So that kind of contradicts what you were saying, Annette. So did anyone else hear that also, or did that have to do with a different part of his time in the service? 
Yeah, it's mostly the time in his service. He was he enlisted at the end of World War II, mm-hmm. and so he came home safe, and he was uh, working to start the farm and everything. And grandmother wanted to, him to keep working on the farm. And then when the Korean War came on, well, that was going to a real war. And I think it worried her so much that she didn't want him to go because he might not come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was the thing about not wanting him to go, just afraid that he wouldn't return. It's interesting that, how mm-hmm. she kind of flip-flopped once it came down to the seriousness yeah. of the situation. Yeah. And then, Mark, I know that there were letters that were being written from... Yes, um, grandmother, there was times she would talk to me about it and said that his commanders would send them letters and kind of filling them in on how he was doing and what they were thinking that he was capable of and they were going to put him in fighter school. And they did. And I guess evidently he did well. And whenever he reenlisted and went to Korea, they would send letters because they told him, said, whatever you tell him, if you write letters, everything at home is great. Everything is just fine and everything's going great because if they were to tell him something that would worry him, it could get him killed because he needed his mind to be clear Mm -hmm. for what he was going to be doing. And and everything is great. Even if everything's not great, everything's great. (laughs) Everything's fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. uh, That's right. Yeah. Kind of gives you a a little taste of the innards of what was going on over there. Yeah. Yeah. Just make sure everybody's happy. Yeah. I remember one time, I think granddad was in the hospital with pneumonia or something like that. And uh, they didn't know dad had got come come in on leave. Oh. And he went to see him in the hospital. And I think the doctor that probably brought all of us into the world, Dr. Bill. Oh, yeah. Dr. Uh, Bill. <laughs> he was in the room and uh, dad came walking in. And he said, well, I think you're going to be just fine now. Your medicine just got here. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that story. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And I bet it was good medicine. He oh, probably yeah. got all yeah. better after that. Yeah, I think he did. And where all was he stationed during World War II in the Korean War? Do you all know? We know some. Not 100%. But yeah. yeah. Albuquerque. Georgia. Georgia. Texas. And Hawaii, Hawaii. Pennsylvania. And somewhere in Korea because we've got movies. And Uncle Bill, um, actually, you pulled out a map for us to look at just a little bit ago to, to where we could see yes. the demilitarized zone and North Korea versus South Korea and the places that people were stationed in North Korea. Yeah, at the time of the war. He actually flew many flights over deep into North Korean areas, destroying railroads and trains and uh, yeah. striping other airfields and things like that. But he really did a lot of work up in North Korea, way up north in there. Yeah, he flew 100 yeah. missions. Yeah, wow. 100 missions. And, and he was stationed in South Korea, and then he'd fly up to North Korea? Okay. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. That was uh, The station, I think, was close to the, what's now the demilitarized zone just a little north and west of Seoul, Korea. Well, he flew, when he first went over there, he flew uh, F-80 shooting star jets, and uh, they began fighting with those, but then the newer and better, the uh, F-86 Sabre came over there, and it was a lot faster and more maneuverable. The shooting stars could just go to about 500 miles an hour, but the uh, Sabre jet could go up to 650 miles an hour, and it could break the sound barrier of 770 miles an hour. Wow. And uh, it's just a lot more maneuverable, and they could carry more weapons underneath the wings, bombing and uh, rockets, and then, of course, the 50-millimeter cannons that they used. It was a 
plus for them to be getting that jet. It really helped win the war. No wonder he loved flying so much. Can you imagine he was going that fast in the? Well, he he got to he was in a really neat time during you know the Air Force. He made the transition from prop propelled to jet mm. propelled. Right. And he always said, he said, man, the hardest thing to get used to is that speed. Because <laughs> it basically doubled twice as fast as what they were used to flying. Damn. He said, man, it's hard to get used to that speed. Yeah, he must have been just, for lack of a better term, flying high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had the pleasure of visiting the Air Force Museum in Ohio with my husband and nephew and got to see the kind of plane that you were talking about, Uncle Bill, the, the F-86 that he flew. And it, it's, it's very impressive. My grandmother and Papa Schaff were very sociable people, especially with family. Papa Schaff bought an old Super 8 type camera to video his family and loved showing his films to guests in their home. My aunts and uncles were kind enough to trust me with multiple tins full of family memories, and I sent them off to have them digitized. I was sweating bullets, hoping they wouldn't lose or break them, but all turned out well. Something especially interesting among all the family footage was in a couple of tins was film from his time in the Air Force. Within was actual footage of his being in the air in his F-86 Sabre firing and being fired upon by the enemy. A retired Air Force friend of mine assessed the film because we found it hard to comprehend what was going on in the footage. And my friend was blown away at what he was actually seeing in front of him. And so we were really excited that we had that footage in our possession. In addition to the wartime film, we also got to experience his walking through the camp where he was stationed and riding through the town in a vehicle. So check out Native Chalk Talk's Facebook page where I'll post that footage. Bill, why don't you do the honors of sharing about his well-earned medals? Yes. Uh, during his service, he received World War II Victory Medal, Korean Service Medal, the United Nations Service Medal, Air Medal, American Campaign Medal, National Defense Service Medal, and Distinguished Cross. Thank you. I mean, it, when you're reading that, it just makes me so proud. According to Wikipedia, the Distinguished Flying Cross is a medal that was, quote, awarded to any persons who, after April 6, 1917, distinguished themselves by single acts of heroism or extraordinary achievement while participating in aerial flight. Both heroism and extraordinary achievement are entirely distinctive, involving operations that are not routine. I wish he were here so we could thank him for his service. As mentioned before, this brown-skinned Choctaw returned back home as a hero. Can you imagine his mother was a slave and his grandmother suffered a difficult life with multiple husbands who abused her, one of the husbands being a man who killed several white men and spent a good deal of time in prison. Eventually, he was pardoned by President Grover Cleveland. And the stories continue to go back even further with grandparents who also suffered atrocities and then on further back to his ancestors coming over to Indian Territory, now Oklahoma, on the Trail of Tears from Mississippi. And here he made a name for himself as a well-respected and highly decorated Choctaw fighter pilot. I can only imagine how proud his mother must have been. Life after the Air Force entailed my papa shop working on the family farm with his father and eventually growing cattle on his family's Indian land allotments. I've never seen a man work harder. He and my grandmother also added three more children to the mix, Annette, Sandra, and Mark. Papa Schaff was also elected to county commissioner for several terms in District 1 and McLean County and served others as a 32nd degree Mason, as well as served on the Wayne School Board. And yet there is still so much to tell about this stoic and heroic man because you see, we knew an additional thing or two about this fighter pilot. He was a bit ornery and he also took a few Ahem, liberties when it came to flying after the war as a civilian. 
Papashoff owned a plane, a Cessna 206, and he didn't hesitate to enjoy life to the fullest. Mark, why don't you tell us about his living his life maybe a little too much to the fullest? Well, most of what I know has been told me by what I call the old timers. Most of them are gone now. But they would tell about times when he would come in on leave and they would loan him a plane. He would basically buzz the town of Wayne to get everybody <laughs> out and he would give them an air show. These old timers, they would tell me and when they told me they started talking real quiet. Yeah, he would give us a show, but if they found out about it, they'd have kicked him out of the Air Force. So we never told anybody. <laughs> <laughs> was that in his Cessna or was it in something no, else? No, that would have been a loner from the Air Force, I believe. Okay. So he had <laughs> a, a loner. Jet. A loner. <laughs> <laughs> this is all hearsay. We don't this know. Right. No, we can yeah. neither confirm nor deny. Oh, well, uh, Mark, what was that about Main Street? Oh, they told me one time. Said there's that little old ladies used to sit on the bench there on Main Street away. They would dip in their snuff. And <laughs> one day, this plane flew right down the middle of Main Street of Wayne, caused the old women to pee their dresses and swallow their snuff. <laughs> <laughs> and come to find out, Dad was the one flying that plane. <laughs> was it the jet? The borrowed I, jet? I don't know. I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. Can you also neither confirm nor deny something that happened in Lexington, Oklahoma? Oh. Would it involve... A bridge or a cow? Which one? I believe. Let's well, start with the two. bridge. There's two of them. <laughs> let's that start with the bridge. <laughs> Lexington Bridge. And it was in the, probably in one of his tail draggers that he had first began flying once he came home. And you could do all kinds of stunts on those and everything. And there's this long bridge and there's a lot of sand on each side and down the middle. And uh, the story goes that he did go under the bridge. The kicker is he was upside down when he did it. Now that's uh, <laughs> that's also an hearsay. Story. It's <laughs> Going also under the bridge hearsay. wasn't enough. Say he actually did it, but <laughs> yeah, a lot of people talk about it. <laughs> Lots of hearsay from a lot of different people. People, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, well, he did take a biplane out one time, and uh, this guy that he knew was riding along with him one day, and they were buzzing the cows. They were herding cows. Herding cows. Okay. Wait, herding and cows with the plane? Herding with cows the, with the airplane. With the, oh, yeah, with okay. the biplane. That's a two-winged At least that's what we are calling plane. it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, well, it was the biplane, though, because it had the gear that was extended and stayed fixed in place, and uh, he wasn't used to that. And so he was buzzing the cows, and he got really low, and all of a sudden there was this uh, big crash and pull on the plane, and he did hit a cow with a right I think his buddy said they, he looked back and he could see it yeah. rolling across the pasture. Yeah. Oh, and no. uh, the guy that was riding with him was in the back seat and uh, he could see the ground going by. There was no, no more <laughs> no floor <laughs> fuselage underneath him. <laughs> so it ripped the, the, the wheels off. The, the one wheel one off. Wheel. It ripped oh. one, the right wheel off and uh, opened up the carriage underneath this this guy that was sitting in there with him. They did land safely. I mean, he, he could handle it, and he brought it in on one wheel and just uh, stalled it, and it did a little turn, and they were all right. Not the cow, though. No, cow, cow not died. All right. cow no, died. it didn't make it. And was this his own cow? Was this Papa Shaw's yes, cow? Yes, it was his yes. cow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess you can't blame anybody else for that. But no, no. no. <laughs> 
And this one is true. It was verified by the passenger. It was in the, yeah, the passenger. Yeah. He, he came to visit and we were telling him something about the store. And he's like, that was me. I was in there. Yeah, that was a few months ago. It was so. It was also in the newspaper. It's true. And it did make the yeah. paper. <laughs> okay, so that one we cannot completely talk away. You know, the family had a lot of fun in the planes he had. He'd take my brother up and we'd do tailspins and dives and loops and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and we would never go down the side of the highway racing cars. No, no that never, never happened. Happen. That wouldn't right. happen. No. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's, that's yeah, all I got. Correct in hearing that Wayne does not have a sheriff or police here sometimes so. they do sometimes well, they it's don't off and on. Okay. i think they did Which, back then but uh, back then they did okay yeah. times were different times yeah. were different back yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> but even then it was still oklahoma yeah and the guy that was in the plane with him said i never went up with him again <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately yeah. for his family we always had to get back in there i mean you the things that you guys are talking about are just stories we know i mean who else knows what he also was up to i remember he'd take my sisters and me flying and we loved it although i remember him performing a maneuver a few times that made me absolutely sick i think it may have been called a stall turn stall. okay and where he'd point the cessna straight upwards climbing quickly then the engine would stall mm -hmm. and he'd start saying oh no the engine is gone and of course we'd panic and then the plane would go straight down at high speed and he'd say we're gonna crash but of course this was all planned and he'd pull the plane back into the horizontal position again and the first couple of times scared me, but then I caught on. So <laughs> either way, once we'd get out of the plane into the boiling hot Oklahoma summer weather on the ground, I'd vomit. Yeah, it was that was good times with Grandpa. Did, <laughs> did he ever do that to y'all? When he would do the stall too, that another thing was there would be an emergency buzzer that would go off real oh, loud, yeah. and Scary. that would scare everybody really. Good. <laughs> I, I would think our brother Keith. Had a lot of experience with the vomit can and Mark and, and Mark. Mark. I think I beat Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. It's but, so bad I could smell the plane, and I would throw up before I ever got in. <laughs> it's awful. And then so I would bad. be back in the seats just laughing. And having, <laughs> we'd be laughing and screaming when you turn over sideways, you know, and you fall over, and your face is plastered against the window, and you're looking at dirt, you know. Do it again, Dad. Do it again. Oh my gosh. And then there was a, a flat tire story or something, right? Oh, oh yeah. We God. were gonna go up one day and we go up there to the hangar and open the doors and we look and the front tire flat clock. Yeah, this is with a tricycle. A tricycle top, yeah. I was a I was it was a one seventy or a one fifty. I think one seventy probably. Yeah. Oh and I said, Well crap, we can't go up. He's like, Ah, don't worry about that. So just help me get it out of the hangar. Oh, we pull it out of the hangar. We get in. It's like, but that front tire's flat. He said, that don't matter. So he starts it up and he powers it up and pulls the nose up, gets it where there's no weight on the front end and, you know, very little weight. Taxi's out, steering it by the brakes. And away we go. Take off. And then when we come in and land, he keeps the nose up and keeps it where there's hardly any weight on the front end and taxis over to the hangar and powers down the front end, goes down. So much skill. You know, he had to know how to deal with these situations. I guess so. So he was probably like, yes, I get to try this. Like, all right. Yeah, this works. All right. This won't be so boring. This time. <laughs> Did it worry you, like, when you're about to come down? Like, yeah. How is this going to work? Well, yeah, you come down on flat tires. You know? <laughs> you're not Does it sound no, good? No. Yeah, is this bad? We made it. 
Papa Shop had a big influence in our lives. For my sister Stacy, she loved being in the plane with him, and he would let her fly on occasion, guiding her along the way. I can't imagine getting flying lessons from a fighter pilot. It must have been awesome. Later, Stacy got her private pilot's license, followed by her husband Mitch, who also decided to learn to fly. Then they took it a few steps further and opened Chickasha Wings, which is an airport where people are also taught to fly. They also do events like flying individuals over the Christmas lights there in Chickasha, Oklahoma, and people can also house their planes at the airport. At one point, Mitch realized a guy was housing a Cessna 206 there. After a little digging, they figured out it was the very plane that Papashoff owned that we flew around in. Papashoff had sold it in the mid-80s, and it had changed many hands uh, during that time. My sister Stacy was blown away that this was the very plane where she got inspired to fly and had those special times getting instructions from her Papashoff. Then the owner allowed her to get her photo taken in it, and I'm sure it was a goosebumps moment. Now, Papashoff did have a fear. There was a certain innocent and cute animal that he couldn't stand and was actually afraid of. Tell us that story. The goats? Yeah. He was stationed in Hawaii at the time, and he was flying a prop plane, a trainer, and he was on the way back from some maneuvers he was doing, and he lost all pressure. He was over water, but he found an island that was deserted, and he... Uh, managed to crash land it there. The only thing about it was it was uh, occupied by goats, hundreds <laughs> of goats. When he would get out of his plane, they would start towards him and he'd have to climb back into it. <laughs> <laughs> so he was finally rescued by a helicopter and uh, got away from there. But it's always, he didn't like that. <laughs> he didn't like, it's like on Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's like, yeah. snakes, does it have <laughs> right. to be snakes? Well, it's just so funny to sit there and think, you're telling me, that you crash land of a plane and then you're afraid to get out because of goats. <laughs> I don't think he could see them. He could hear them and he didn't know what oh, the heck it was. Oh, that's another twist of the story. I that's right. It was that. late. Okay. It was later. But late I mean, late. how can you mistake the nav sound? I mean, like, well, that's definitely a goat. Maybe Hawaii goats have a different sound. Maybe they do. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> they may have been talking Hawaiian goat. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And there's a there's an article about it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, did you want it? Yeah, let's hear it. It says the piloting skill and a little luck brought a McLean County Army pilot safely through a crash landing experience on a little uninhabited island in the Hawaiian group. On February 15th, Lieutenant William C. Schaffner, son of Mr. and Mrs. W.C. Schaffner of Wayne, was participating with other members of the 92nd Fighter Squadron in gunnery strafing and rocket firing on uninhabited Kahulawa Island, which was being used for target practice. On his third run at the target, his plane suddenly lost power and he was forced to slide the plane in for a belly landing. Although his plane was damaged considerably, Schaffner was unhurt. Three hours later, he was rescued by a Navy helicopter pilot and returned to his base at Wheeler Field near Honolulu, none the worse for his experience. With Lieutenant Schaffner at the Wheeler Air Force Base was his wife, the former Oanda Halbrook, and their two children, William C. III and Gentry. Lieutenant Schaffner graduated from Wayne High School in 1941, entered the Army Air Force in 1943, and has been stationed in Hawaii since last August. Notice that they didn't ask him about the goats. There was no mention. No, right I, don't know if he, I don't know if he told them about the goats. I don't think he would. They did say uninhabited That may island, have been a family seat. This that is the shared. other side of the story. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that story. And the fact that, like you said, fighter pilot, afraid of goats. 
All right. So Annette, this is your chance to tattle on your brothers. Papa Shoff had a barn project where he wanted to replace the roof. And what did your helpful brothers do? Well, I think actually they were getting ready to go to Arkansas where my mom's family lived. And they had heard dad talking about needing a new roof on the grain barn or silo or whatever it was. Anyway, while they were getting things ready to go to Arkansas, apparently my brothers decided to take the old roof off for him. So nice. It was so helpful. I do think that it involved maybe some harsh words from my dad because I think they may have ran away to their grandmother. <laughs> Good job, Uncle Bill. Yes. I, I blanked that whole episode out. I don't remember it. It's gone. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And then I can't imagine they had to go to Arkansas, okay. though, knowing well, that. The- Bill and Keith were so close together. I think what one didn't think of, the other one did, because mm. I don't know. Maybe. I, yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they know. kept Keith, mom busy. He was a troublemaker. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> sure. Sure. The younger brother was a troublemaker. I'm for sure. Actually, honestly, that probably is true. <laughs> well, even grandmother and granddaddy were pretty aware of the two of them, because grandmother was telling me how. Anytime it got quiet when the boys were visiting, she'd say, boys, what are you doing? And Bill every time would go, oh, we're just doing what we're doing. And she knew to go check. <laughs> it's probably the the sign to go yeah. check on them. Yeah, I've been washing Keith's hair in the toilet or something. Yeah, no, that's yeah. what he did to us, oh. the oh, girls. Did that happen? He tried. And he's not here they to would just defend himself, so go for no. it. <laughs> they never seriously flushed our heads. They just turned out the lights in the little bathroom that was completely dark and held us upside down over the toilet and flushed. That that right sounds a lot now? like I don't putting remember your head that. down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm having a senior moment about that. Exactly. That's another blocked out story. Lots of selective memory That's going right. on here. <laughs> We loved our sisters. Yeah. <laughs> what is the age difference between, say, Bill and Annette? Ten years between Bill and I. Okay. And then yeah. 15 years between Bill and Mark. Oh, wow. All right. Well, I remember always being in awe of Papa Shaw for the healthy respect for him, but he was always such a big softy, too, especially as he aged. He bought us grandkids a little jalopy car for us to drive around in, and we loved it. And he set up one of his cow troughs in the yard so we could swim in it. And we spent hours in that thing. I think at some point it got a leak and it would eventually drain out. We'd be like, can you put the hose back in? (laughs) Um, He also bought us a trampoline and he'd get on it with us. Y'all remember the trampoline? Oh, yeah. Yep. That's our fighter pilot. And especially ornery thing he'd do. We cousins often got in the back of his pickup and we'd ride around the land together. A couple times we'd ride with the tailgate down and our legs were dangling down. And he'd back up to the pond and we'd be screaming because we knew he was trying to dump us in. But seriously, though, he loved his family. And he was never too prideful to hug us and ask us how we were doing. When I was in college, I came to see him and my grandmother and and I were talking about how um, we liked the army green color that was in style at the time. And he took me to his closet and brought out one of his green Air Force shirts and a pair of pants. And he said, you can have these if you want. I was thrilled to take them. I wore the shirt quite a bit in college and he was a small man, so I couldn't fit into the pants. But I'm really grateful that I still have them today. They mean the world to me. That land where we'd shoot guns and ride around in the pickup and on the sleds being pulled around is incredibly sentimental to all of us. It symbolizes our ancestors' survival and one of the only gains they received amongst all the pain. Today, Uncle Mark's cattle happily graze on that same land where my papa shop raised the cattle. Mark, tell us more about a day in your life of taking care of the cows and, you know, basically the same hard work that papa shop did. Oh, it's just a regular 
cattle operation. We raise cattle, cow calf operation. Winter times when you you know take care of all your feed and have to keep the animals fed and looked after. Uh, you know, calving season is the most important. Get yeah. calves, baby calves on the ground and going good. Yeah, this last winter was so cold too. You were out there Oof. breaking ice on the ponds. Yeah, just yeah. about every day, I think. Yeah, every day. I mean, luckily. This is the first time we've ever set the calving dates back as far yeah. as we did. We decided we were going to start calving the 1st of March instead of the 1st mm -hmm. of January for hmm. heifers and the 1st of February for cows. And good decided to do them all March 1st, start calving March 1st, and you don't know how glad I was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it was just dumb luck. I mean, been thinking about it for years, but just got lucky that we did it when we did. Yeah, could have hmm. lost a lot. <laughs> We had some six cows got bred early by a neighbor's bull, and they had them right during that time. Luckily, we only lost a set of twins, and I think they were born dead. I think they were still born, but we were very fortunate that there was a lot of people around us that weren't. They lost a bunch, lost a lot of calves. Wow. But the summertime is just hay time, putting up hay for the cattle, getting the ground ready for winter pasture. Fall, we're planting winter pasture, ready to do it all over again. Absolutely. It just it's never it, it never ends, and you <laughs> never get cycle. caught up. <laughs> and how just, many acres of land is that that you're? Your uh, we're owned and leased is around eighteen hundred altogether. A lot of responsibility, I'm sure you're. Yeah, always having we to can't keep ahead. up with it. I mean, we really yeah. can't keep up with it. It's hard to. Yeah. The weather doesn't cooperate. I started most to of the say time. Mother Nature is that. Unknown. Mother Nature is mean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. But that's kind of what we do. And in Oklahoma, it's mean. I mean, it was it's really hot. I'm here in July, of course, but it is really hot right now. And then it was 15 below this last winter here in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. which was unusual, right? And that's why you talked about yeah, you know, it's record kind of, low. It's never been that cold. It was a deadly cold. It was you thought about things differently when you went out for the day mm -hmm. because if something happened and you broke down, even though you know somebody's going to get you to you pretty soon, yeah, you didn't go wandering off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Because if something went wrong, it's it could kill you. I mean, it's it's that's, that's a deadly. Yeah, it cold. took out all kinds of animals oh, and oh, things. Dead birds, birds everywhere. Wow, it was bad. I'd never seen it where it actually affected birds. That's yeah, bad. lots of that's lots of really middle larks and robins were dead all over. But that's pretty much what we do. I wanted you to talk about that because I think that we all take it for granted that we just go to the grocery store and grab some beef and do our thing, and it's people that work these lands work hard and have to be a business person as well as a hands-on person. And so we have a great amount of respect for that in our family, I think. So, and we also have like a little surprise guest that runs around, right? The big mountain lion that's around here. Or oh what is yeah. It? He's, we, it's unusual. I mean, we've been here forever. How long ago was it? I think dad was still living. So mm -hmm. it's before 2008. We had our first well, I'm assuming it was because I found the tracks and stuff. That was the tracks wow. I showed you. And they're big tracks. Big tracks. And now they've actually been seen and running across our land over here. How many are there? Is there just one? or No. Uh, I don't think there's very many. They, they Their range is real wide. I think they can yeah. travel 25 miles in a night or uh -huh. something. I mean, normally they won't. But it's just that's but what they, they do for a living. They yeah. Wander around looking for food. You know? Yeah. They've been. Yeah. Bigger, but there's also been smaller ones because you had someone call you, I think, saying they saw a small yeah, one. Yeah, twice in one day, mile and a half wow. apart. And they don't bother the cattle, do they? 
not that, that we know of. Not that we know yeah. of. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the opportunity was right. I mean, they're just looking for something to eat. Yeah. You know, I mean, can't blame them. I think it was a month ago. I was out with the dogs and went to get toots. I was trying to get her in to go to bed and we'd had a coyote family across the road and they had started coming up close behind the house and they were starting their howling and I went to get her and then there was this most awful scream, super, super loud. I had never, ever heard anything like it. And I believe me, I did get toots in then, <laughs> but um, since then I haven't heard the coyotes and I was looking it up. It is a sound like a mountain lion would make. And I'm sitting there thinking it was by the barn. I think oh, it was right Lord. by the barn down there. <laughs> anyway, it was about a week later. Yeah. yeah, a week later, there was one spotted just a mile south of here. Oh, so if you ever hear that sound up close and personal, you will not forget it. Wow. Well, and then you guys took in a, I could swear our sugar burger was part bobcat. He was Remember big enough. Big cat you he had? was just a big, sweet baby. <laughs> he had that bobtail. Mm -hmm. And then Natural bobtail. <laughs> his nose was huge. His paws were huge. And I loved him, but he was, he was mean. And if you tried to sit in his rocking chair, he'd get mad. And he drank out of the toilet. And he drooled, drooled. And he potted in the potted plants. Was he a minx? Was he a called a minx? Yeah. yeah. He probably oh, had that one. His mom part. was a natural minx. Did you get it as a baby? And then you're like, oh, this is a cute little kitty. Yeah, I bottled it. His, his mom died. Oh. And he was the only kitten left. Yeah. And I bottle fed him and he was a sweetheart. That's a little sugar booger. Yeah. Oh, he, he, you go running across the yard, he tackle you. He'd take you down. Somehow we all survived sugar booger. I know. <laughs> he loved to play though. And that's, you got the scratches. It's true. As little kids, we had a healthy fear of sugar booger. So, you know, this land that we're talking about that, you know, we really obviously, we talk about it a lot because we are proud of it. And Papa Shoff used to actually find some interesting things on the land. So tell us more about that. Okay. Well, actually, Mark is still finding them. There was some land down near, some of the land down near the river where they found arrowheads. And you mm -hmm. found a spearhead, right? Wow. I may have. I found several arrowheads. I still wish that I had understood better or Dad had explained to me better. He had a couple of, look like just red rocks. And he said, you know, these are Indian grinding stones. Wow. And I was, and I'm pretty sure he said, yeah, there was this other great big rock where they were, but I couldn't get it. And I, I kept thinking it was on this land, that it wasn't down on the river or somewhere else. But I wasn't sure about it. And he's like, you want these? And I was like, sure, I'll take <laughs> sure. them. Uh, so I went to OU to find out about them. And they said they were Indian grinding stones. And I was like, well, about how old would they be? And they're like, oh, they're not too old, maybe around a thousand years. <laughs> wow. Like, so uh, cool. Be well, because you have your prehistoric natives that we don't have any written documentation of. Then you, the next time period is the historic. Mm. And during the historic is usually when the explorers started coming over. And also during that time, the, a lot of the natives started farming more and being more stationary instead of migrating and hunting everything. So that's why the stones were bigger. If they had wow. been earlier, they would have been smaller. Wow, that's crazy. Only a thousand years old, that's all. And they wow. were the real thing. And I got to hold them in my hands earlier. That was really cool to think about. Wow, what happened with these grinding stones back in the day and who was down there? And we really appreciated a couple of Christmases ago, y'all gathered up 
the many, many arrowheads that Papa Shop had gathered and probably Uncle Mark too. And all of us grandkids and great grandkids got to have those arrowheads to keep. And so that, that was a great Christmas gift. Well, and I don't know if it granddaddy's my dad's dad sometimes told pretty big stories and stuff, but I believe we also have places on the land that were buffalo wallows. Oh yeah, cool. Several. Oh yes, I've wow. seen them. I yeah. saw them if when you fly I was over, in, when I was young. You could really? tell where they wallowed. Yeah, they're still out there. Wow. You just need to know where to look. But uh, and they've could... been kind of filled in. Yeah. They're over not as time. Deep. They're yeah, over not time, as... they don't. They're not yeah, used. Not like as that deep anymore. as they were. Yeah, but they're there. Yes, I oh, yeah. saw them. When wow. I was really young. Well, yeah. Dad's friends took us for a flight in his single-man plane, and Ultra and you could still kind of see where they were. Could y'all bring back buffalo on this land? I think it'd be really cool if you also would. We need a bigger fence. I'm... Yeah, I don't know if I want to mess with buffalo. They're mean. Uh, but you know yes, they I got are. Big yeah, but you tamed the cows. You can tame a buffalo. Come on. <laughs> I can't run as fast as I used to. <laughs> and they're fast. Fast, oh, fast. Yeah. They're faster than regular cows. I bet they are. So as they say, all good things must come to an end. Papa Shoff lived an amazing and full life. He had developed prostate cancer at one point, and he was able to beat it. However, the second time around, he decided he had enjoyed a great life and decided not to fight it. As sad as that is, I feel it's also so him. He was brave, and he was ready to take on whatever life had for him. This is not going to be easy for any of us to talk about, I know. But um, Bill, he was a fighter pilot until the very end, right? Yes. Uh, he wasn't coherent anymore, but... Uh... I would be beside his bed and he would uh, be flying his plane. He would be going through the motions and everything you would to turn a plane and to fly it and everything. So he was flying right up until the end. And another side thing is we have a friend that has an ultralight and uh, we had him fly up and he dropped our father's ashes on his leg. Sandra didn't. Didn't you go flying with dad one night whenever he was getting where he wasn't coherent anymore? Yeah. But he, but he did know that she was beside him because he's like, "Oh, Sandy, Sandy. oh, Sandy!" And you were the co-pilot, <laughs> yeah. And he, Aww. he was, you know, like he was holding the yoke of the plane and yeah. turning the dials, and, you know, oh, the things. Yes. And Even at the end, he was doing end, his passion. He, that, he still steered. What he wanted to do. That's a hard one, you guys. This is very hard for all of us because, especially for these four, because they were very close to him, and there was a lot of respect here. And he's a good man. My Papa Shaw, William Creeley Jr., was 85 years old when he passed away on April 21st, 2008, followed by my sweet grandmother, Elwanda, a few years later on October 20th, 2013. As Bill said, his ashes were scattered on the land that he loved so much, the land that represented our Choctaw family and our legacy. His marker lies at Hillside Cemetery in Purcell, Oklahoma, and he did leave behind a great legacy, a family who is tight-knit for life, land that still grows the cattle, that feeds the public and family members, and good and kind descendants who are teachers, ranchers, and proud of the country for which their patriarch fought. For me, the legacy that he left behind that affected me to this day was his work ethic. I often think of him when I'm exhausted and working hard, hoping I'm making him proud. I also learned to seek a life partner that's a good man like he was, and I'm so glad he did. So I ask the four of you, what did he pass on to you? Bill, I'll start with you. Well, the worth ethic, yes, definitely. And the big one was loyalty to family. And, you know, I appreciate that you have stepped in as the patriarch of this family. You have really, you know, you've always checked in on me and my sisters and 
Yeah, you play a good game of Farkle when <laughs> people want to get together and play a game. You're always ready to go. Um, he and, just wants to wear the cape and the hat. Oh, yes. Yes, they have a hat, a crown they made for me with a nice cape. And uh, it was really nice of them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> An old sheet and duct tape. It works wonders. <laughs> no respect, right, Uncle Bill? But he's willing to do that for oh, yeah. us. He's a family man, just like Papa Shop was. And how about Annette? What do you think he passed on to you? I think both through him and mom. Of course, work ethic. Sometimes it drives my own kids nuts because it's like, mom, take a break. <laughs> anyway, but uh, the family, the never give up on a family member because we all go through different things at different parts of our lives. And sometimes, you know, we don't know everybody's business and we may not understand, but you never give up on them because there'll be a time where everything comes back together and you find that that family member that you weren't sure about is just exactly what you need. Nobody has to be perfect, but you never close a door or give up on a family member. So I think that would be one of the main things and appreciation for simple things, things on the land, animals. Uh, we had raccoons and coyotes and skunks and crows. Crow, crows. Oh, heckle yeah. and jackal. I used to have pictures but, of crows when I was oh, really? in Korea. They'd be sitting, crows would be next to them on their swings. <laughs> swinging along with them. That was weird. That was kind of weird. Oh, they learned to say hello. Scared me to death first time I walked out. And I heard hello. A love for all those kinds of things, a curiosity about it. I have a twisted up branch around somewhere that dad brought by to me because he thought I'd like it because it was weird and cool. I think between that and between looking back on how I know at times they didn't have a lot and how they would figure things out and make it work. I know now they may not have had a lot, but I never felt like I didn't have a lot growing yeah. up, even though maybe I didn't. I never felt that way. And that to me is what the real family is. You don't have to have things to feel very rich. When you talk about the animals, Annette is known for taking in any stray that needs love. <laughs> no more. I'm done with them. Well, I think you paid your dues. Yeah. About <laughs> a couple <laughs> years of taking it. Five and six dogs. But you, you like the ones All that need the most needs. rehabilitation. That's right. And and I, I mean, I love that about our family. You know, it's all, Sandy does the same thing. And, and every now and then you'll hear a little whining noise. It's her dog under the table that's <laughs> wanting attention and sissy. <laughs> well, her pet dog. turtle is a cutie. You got pet turtle? pet turtle? Oh my now. goodness! Two of them. Yep. I need to Mr. Turtle and Mrs. Turtle. Are they outside or in your house? No, no outside. outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were around that summer. That summer, and he they're started back last year, and they came and back. back. <laughs> he used winter. to live in a hole under a rock, but I think he's got a different home. Yeah, I don't know where he goes now, but he comes every it's amazing every other day or so often. They have their cantaloupe and. They come to so see cute. Dad had a love of animals. He did. He loved animals. He had some cow dogs that would ride in the back of the truck with him. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd go on his runs to feed the cows or whatever, and they were there yeah. with him. What else? A good love for animals. And That's he, right. He, the dogs would be ready to go. He'd jump up in the pickup with you, and they'd be off and yeah. gone for the day. Come home and have pick picking home. time. <laughs> yeah, a little jar of gasoline. Dogs just lay down. Yeah, they they pick all the ticks pick, off of them that they got from the field. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it's that true. Was mine and Dad's quality time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and it is interesting. It's that two sides of him. He could be strong when he needed to be. Right. Oh, yeah. He but, could scare you pretty good at times. Could, but I'm glad he was that way. Because yeah. We yeah. all turned out pretty good. Yeah, I think yeah. y'all did. Maybe then, a few bumps along the way, but generally we might know. <laughs> so there's that strong Choctaw fighter pilot. And then on the other hand, you've got the man who was, you know, loved on his dogs. And I remember actually he, I just remembered this. He had this baby calf that he would call Hey Calf. And he'd say, Hey Calf, Hey Calf. And he'd come running across the field and he'd <laughs> let us pet it, you know, because it'd come to him. And then there was also a, a dog that he just named Dog or something. Or is okay. it John Wayne movie where he had a dog and he named dog. it something did he just name it dog? Was that what it was? He had one named dog. Name yeah. was dog. But First, when I remember him with, that was Wolf. Wolf. Called Wolf. Mrs. Wolf. Oh, was a wolf Mom and Dad had Mrs. German Wolf. Shepherd. She was part Wolf. Yeah, wolf. Was part she, wolf. <laughs> she rode on the back of his motorcycle with him. What? We've got a picture somewhere. What yeah. was that motorcycle? An Indian? It was an Indian motorcycle that an aunt worked up in Purcell, Oklahoma, at a restaurant. She was a waitress. And someone left a motorcycle there. And it sat there for quite a while. And then they finally said, well, he could have it if he wanted it. And so he and mom and the wolf would go riding. Right. (laughs) I didn't know that one either. Well, so Mark, you've had a lot of time to think about this too. What what would you say that he passed on to you? You know, no no one to be tough with your family. He always knew what his intentions were when he was doing it. And he was brave enough to do it. Yeah. Even though he knew he would see tears in your eyes. There was a reason. Always told me to be fair in business because if you're not, you'll never live it down. Always be fair in business and don't ever fall in love with your cows or your land because there may come a time you have to let them go. So things don't always go your way. So, you know, there's times that you just don't know what doing this, what we do. It's, you know, there's no perfect formula. There's so many things that can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I sure wish I could ask what do we do? That's, that's whenever I go back on, well, what would dad do? What would grand do? That's whenever I, it kind of calms me and I take time and I think about it instead of acting right away. I think about it, think about what they would do. Try to reflect back on similar situations I went through with him and he made the decision. You know, just basically I worked with him my whole life. He, he would get hard on me sometimes. The last time he ever raised his voice at me is whenever I raised my voice back at him. And I think it was like he finally was like, finally, I got it to come out. You know, I wouldn't ever back talk my dad, but I went off on it because I finally had enough. And once I did, it was like I earned his respect. You will speak up to anybody. You won't let somebody run over you, not even me. And I appreciate that. That's what I've always been so proud of, Granddaddy, because he started around Dust Bowl time. And then for what he was able to do and then what Dad was able to do, and then what Mark was able to do, because there's a lot of farmers and ranchers around here that had to give it up. This is Oklahoma. This is this is hard land. This is not easy land to tame. From the tornadoes to the dust bowls to the red dirt, all those Mother things. Mother nature. Mother nature. <laughs> but I don't know that granddaddy or dad or Mark really understand and appreciate what they are doing because everybody can't do it. I can remember Mark in a junior high or high school having these other grown men coming and asking him about when are you thinking about playing hay and stuff. Wow. So oh, cool. I've made many mistakes. I mean you <laughs> learn from it because I kinda of got put in a position where I had to do everything like it was mine. He was writing the checks, but I had to start making the decisions. Boy, I make mistakes and 
you know, it didn't cost me, it cost them. Oh, I just, you know, wish I could go back and do it again, but you can't. You know, you learn from it. I still make mistakes. It's just part of it. You know, I would always go make the right decision. You know, what she was asking a while ago, I guess, you know, be fair in business, treat people right. You know, sometimes even though you tell somebody you're going to do something, mm-hmm. and yep. sometimes it ends up costing you because you told them you would do it. Yep. Things change, and, well, I told them I'd do it, so i got to go do it. That's and, right. Yeah, that was it. Keep your promises. Right. I always had that in. Yep. If I promise something, I'll do it. Well, and you know yeah. what? I mean, you talk to anybody in this area, you bring up W.C. Schaffner's name, and mm-hmm. it is instant respect. That was a good man because they knew they could trust him in business and, and mm-hmm. even in uh, giving advice on farming or whatever the case. He was a good man, and he passed that to you on, and that's why I'm glad to be your niece. It makes us all proud. Well, you know, he could be tough, and I think growing up, sometimes I didn't know how to talk to him. It was a real blessing to be here as he got older and stuff, but he also was the one that would build houses for us with the hay that he was going to feed the cows when it was really cold so we could ride in the back of the pickup and go do that. And he took us on those same rides in the back of the pickup. <laughs> I didn't realize oh, that. We lost Mark a few times because, you know, we had those chains <laughs> on the tailgate back then. He'd hit a big bump. It'd fly up. The chains come loose. And I just remember this one time. Mark just landed perfectly in this little hole. He said they're like a little chicken and ass just sitting there waiting on him to come back and get him. <laughs> so I think we all got tossed around in the pickup a few times. And my sister's inherited some of that, especially Sanders. She liked dragging me back behind that four-wheeler yeah. <laughs> on that sled. She'd be laughing so hard. She'd be crying. <laughs> Couldn't see where I was going. That was the bad part. Oh, no. She's pulling me, and she's turning around with this evil grin. You know, She's hunched over the handlebars, and she turned around just snickering at me. And I finally, she swings me out a little bit, and I realize she has lined me up perfect with, I mean, I bet they were two feet tall cow patties <laughs> three of them in a row mega patties oh my and i'm starting to scream and then i realize i can't scream because it's going to go in my mouth <laughs> and i mean i'm like hitting those patties and flying through the air boom boom, boom. <laughs> Just snickering. i know she looks so sweet right but then you know she does those things just don't let her pull you behind the <laughs> lesson learned yeah but that's the kind of stuff that dad would have gotten us doing that you can you know it's not your normal stuff but we had to entertain ourselves out here in the country and i have to admit i don't remember any there may have been alcohol in the house or whatever but this was a family that has fun without drinking like i know we'd be dangerous if we drank (laughs) it would be really bad (laughs) we always had a good time these are the best memories out here so well, it's nice that you girls always wanted to come back and be with your old aunts. And That's right. Absolutely. And- <laughs> That's what I miss. I wasn't around for you all. Yeah. Grew up. But you did teach us to shoot. Well, I had no idea what your background was in <laughs> the military with the, you know, holding a sharpshooter. Well, let's just but. say when we have skeet shooting contest, it comes <laughs> down to Bill or Mark. Well, as we wrap up here, I took this from the obituary written by these four children. As a father and husband, we saw a man with a strong sense of duty, patriotism, and love of family. His strong work ethic was evident as he continued to work the farm as much as possible, never retiring. We're proud he was our dad and we'll miss him. And we do miss you, Papa Schaff. Thank you for everything you did for us and taught us. 
you will never be forgotten. And thank you, listeners, for helping us to honor this great Choctaw man, Yakoki. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success because together we're more. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends. <laughs>